Hi, I'm Anthony Cimolino, the Artistic Director of the Stratford Festival, and you're listening to Director's Notes. Enter the creative psyches of this season's directors with Stratfest at Home's latest original podcast. Explore the artistic vision and tireless work behind each production through the eyes of the people who bring the festival's productions to life. This intimate look at our season's plays are the perfect pre-show warm-up and post-show reflection. We wish to honor the ancestral guardians of this land and its waterways, the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, the Wendat, and the Etiwanderong. Today, many Indigenous peoples continue to call this land home and act as its stewards. And this responsibility extends to all peoples to share and care for this land for generations to come. Whether you've already seen the production or you're currently en route, we thank you for listening in. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Andrew Kushner, and I'm the director of Casey and Diana, and this is The Post Show. I think we've spent the last few years, you know, all by our lonesome, and there's something about coming back into this space, the space of the theater, the nowness of the theater, the nowness with others, right? That kind of togetherness that is part of the emotional power of this play. At the end of the day, we're breathing the same air and we're co-creating this story, be it the actors who are offering their portrayals or the audience members who are in their mind's eye, you know, undergoing this, this extraordinary play by Nick Green. And so I've been really thrilled. And, and I, I got to say, the studio is sort of a superb space for this because, again, it is so it's a, it's a little jewel box. It's this little crucible for really big feelings. Um, I really like this metaphor, you know, of an ocean in an aquarium, right? It's, I'd say of all the festivals, theaters, it's sort of the aquarium. It's a smaller, um, it's a smaller container, but when you put the ocean in there, it's just so, um, it's an extraordinary feeling to ride those waves, to ride those waves in a small space with people, you know, shoulder to shoulder, breathing that same air. So I, uh, yeah, I'm, I think it's the perfect spot for this world premiere. And the fact that we've had the resources and these incredible artists, I mean, uh, people are really taken by the fact that we've been able to take features of Casey House at the corner of Isabella and Huntley Street in Toronto and transport them to Stratford, Ontario, and be it the stained glass that people are going to experience or even the particular gray of the walls. There's, you know, in, in our reading around Casey House, there was so much um, debate about the gray walls in Casey House. Was it soothing or was it disturbing? And uh, Jane Darville, who was the CEO of Casey House when Casey, uh, Princess Diana came to visit, uh, said she loved the gray of Casey House because death is gray. It's not black and white. Death is a messy gray experience. Um, and to juxtapose that grayness with the humor in Casey House, you know, and in Nick's play, I think that's something that I would love audiences to, you know, um, anticipate is that the gallows humor amidst a bunch of people navigating hard death. I mean, we know this to be true. I'm Ukrainian Canadian. I'm deeply connected with what's going on in Ukraine. I, it never ceases to amaze me how 
my friends make jokes about their nights in the bomb shelter because that's just how they cope. As human beings, we need humor. We need release to cope with the unfathomable. And I do think that Nick has created a gorgeous script that, you know, the, the time signatures of the play are always changing, you know, moments of levity, then moments of profound, profound, you know, uh, pathos and despair. Um, that's life. That's life. And so I love the studio because we get to actually be in su on such a human scale with this story. Um, like I said earlier, we get to be in the house with these folks. Um, but we, we developed this play the best we could over this pandemic and then had this beautiful workshop in January in person here in Stratford for a number of days. We were able to keep developing the script, keep developing the characters. By that point, we had cast the show. So we had this incredible, incredible group that were offering their questions and ideas. And for me as a director, you know, my primary job is to be a satellite dish, to be a big receiver, to, you know, receive people's impulses, questions, curiosities, the things that challenge them, the things that inspire them, and try to, in a way, organize or harness the powers of those things to, to best serve the story. And so on the other side of that workshop, we had a few weeks off, people sort of, you know, um, got their bearings, and then we started rehearsals in early April. And I think a big gift that the Stratford Festival affords all of their shows, but this is particularly helpful for new work, is that there is a preview process. So we do six or seven preview performances before we open the show. And so what you get to understand is after working in sort of the, the, the lab, you know, I always think of the rehearsal hall as a kind of lab and that we're all artist researchers trying to figure out how to, you know, work the riddle of a play. Then you start sharing it with an audience and you go, oh, Oh, they find that line funny. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Oh, that really moves them. Ah, ah. Oh, that part is feeling confusing. Or, oh, that part is actually really singing. And so you just get to co-create with an audience, which is, at the end of the day, what are we doing if not trying to co-create with the audience? And the piece gets refined over that preview process. And so there were a number of, if you came to the first preview and you were at opening last night, I'd venture to say that the show was quite different. You know, lines get changed, uh, character portraits get evolved, uh, moments of conflict get clarified, you know, so it's such a beautiful ride to be able on a daily basis to come back to the practice of the play. And that's a word I use a lot as a director is we don't think of it necessarily as a performance. You know, it's not about um, delivering something that's consumable, but actually be in practice with the play. You know, think of it like, you know, a, a really exciting <laughs> you know, yoga practice, <laughs> you know, we're putting our bodies through these shapes and like, it's making us feel things, it's stretching us. And we want the audience to undergo that practice with us on a, on a day by day basis. And to bring yourself every day, again, that word encounter, what does it mean to encounter the play with yourself fully every single day? So that's been the beauty of it, you know, developing this, the playwright Nick Green was with us throughout the process. So he's making tweaks, he's hearing things and going, okay, what if we switch the line here? What if we flip this? Um, so it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. And again, the upshot of it is this brand new piece of art that nobody has ever seen before. And we get to surprise people with it. I started my directing practice here at the festival as an assistant director. And I assisted Anthony Cimolino, the artistic director, on two occasions. First in 2018 with Napoli Millionaria, and then in 2019 with The Merry Wives of Windsor. And I really, really treasure that time here. You know, this, there's no place 
like this on earth. I truly believe there's no other place where there are so many theater artists in such a small geographic area. And the upshot of that is there's so much cross-pollination, there's so much knowledge exchange, there's so much exciting dialogue between people. I mean, you can't walk two blocks without bumping into a colleague here. And I find that so enriching as a director who's trying to find a methodology, a way of working that aligns with my values, but also honors, you know, incredible techniques and incredible ways of working that predate me and um, have been, you know, mastered by so many. Um, and working with Antony was such a gift one of the shows I worked on with Anthony was on the festival stage. And for those, again, who don't know the studio space, it's almost like a mini festival. So what I learned from him around how to move bodies in a thrust, you know, in a thrust space that has two VOM entrances and uh, and this sort of, you know, uh, I, I believe it was Michael Langham, the, the, a very, very um, celebrated um, director of this company, um, talked about it being two proscenium arches. I don't know if the listener is going to understand what that means, but you know, the Avon theater is one proscenium arch. Think of it as a, almost like looking at a movie screen, but the festival stage, and I can't speak to the TPT, but I think it's in the same vein and the studio, it's like having two arches crossing one another. And so it's so cinematic, you know, you're actually, depending on where you sit in the studio, you're going to get a very different experience. Even the op opening image of our show, if you were sitting in the front section, you're getting one story. And then when you're on the side, you're getting a, an absolutely different vantage point on the opening image of the show. So as a director, I really try to create pictures over the course of a play, these sorts of uh, icons or these um, momentary sculptures, you know. And so uh, Anthony taught me a great deal about how to move artists through these spaces, how to make sure that they're including everybody in the room and how to capitalize, how to capitalize on what are such singular spaces in this country. They're so special. I can't speak to the original vision for that space, but what I've experienced over and over again, and I've been seeing shows here for many years, is there's a level of risk taking in the studio. It's a smaller space. It's again, like I said, a little jewel box. And there is an edginess to the work. There's a kind of uh, daring and that extends to all the spaces in the festival. I do feel like the festival encourages risk-taking and, um, but the studio in particular, it feels like it's got a, a really meaningful lineage. I mean, it's just a, it's a gift of a space for any artist at any point in their careers to work in. Um, so I don't think of it as training wheels. I don't think of it as sort of like a, um, the first increment around directing at the festival. And the festival does such a good job of actually being really democratic across all the spaces. You know, we're all being treated very, very comparably. Um, but again, it's that thing of when you're you're building a story for an audience of, you know, 200 plus people, as opposed to building a story for 1800 people, there's just a, a, a kind of proximity that you can play with, uh, an intimacy you can play with, a vibration you can play with, you know, we have these characters that are dying of AIDS and they can actually carry a little light voice, a, a whisper in the room that is so authentic. It's so reflective of what those voices would have sounded like in Casey House, as opposed to feeling like you're in the 1800 C theater, which I adore, but you'd have to really vibrate to carry that kind of moment. And it suddenly starts fracturing the verisimilitude or the sort of that sense of realness. 
So I'd say for me, the studio is exciting because of how real you can get things, you know, and um, a play like this that, again, intersects so much with a true event and a place that exists to this day um, that involves characters, but also this historic figure that was a person that walked on this planet. All those sorts of intersections with the real make the studio the ideal space. I, I honestly, if I if I had my my choice of any space for Casey and Diana, it has landed exactly where it needs to be. Thank you.